I struggled to know what to uh, preach about this morning. Um, I was thinking this week, trying to think of a um, word picture or an illustration of um, maybe where we as a church are. And so um, I thought about... Um, the times when Mary Sue and I went canoeing with uh, students and volunteers at Faith Builders, and uh, we were in a canoe by ourselves. And uh, this was in a former life, as you know, we were younger. And uh, I think maybe once or twice I was in the water, but I think it was because um, it was shallow, there wasn't enough water in the river, but uh, we didn't get dumped over any time, fortunately. But uh, in thinking about, that, that's what came to my mind. So I, I want to say this morning, we're like, we are like people in a canoe, I think, trying to navigate uh, the swiftly flowing current of a river, and it has a lot of rapids, and uh, maybe, maybe we're in the rapids. And uh, I am not, I'm not, uh, I think maybe I was, I think I was. I was the captain of the canoe that Mary Sue and I were in. And uh, actually the captain's in the back, I think, because I was the one that steered the canoe. Um, but I'm not the captain of this canoe, uh, but I, I am in the canoe and I have a path. So, um, and thinking about that, uh, our, um, I think my, my, I think about this a lot, that our present challenges feel uh, very similar to me, uh, to the challenges that I faced, uh, forgive me, in a former life, in God's meals, uh, when, when the church there uh, went from uh, 17 members in 1998 to um, attendance of 250 in six years, and um, it was it was really quite overwhelming, and and there were a number of issues. One of them being that we didn't have enough room where we were meeting. We had to get out of the school and find somewhere else, and and we ended up dividing the congregation. <clears throat> which I think was fine, but anyway, it was a stressful time, is what I'm saying. And I was, um, I was looking at, uh, well, what did we say to the people uh, in sermons during that time? And I was looking at these sermons, and uh, they were by Melvin Lehman and Anthony Henry and Tim Slaybaugh and myself. And... Um, so I, I thought this morning, I know this is kind of a strange sermon, but I thought this morning I will just tell you what we said to the people. And uh, some of it, looking back to me, it kind of surprises me, or I feel like um, I'm glad we had enough wisdom to know to say that. Uh, because sometimes when we're in a situation, we're so scared, this is me, can be so scared like at night. I used to be scared of the dark, too. 
Uh, you can be, I have been at times so scared in situations that I could hardly think well. And uh, maybe you're not like that, but I've been that way at times. So I'm going to uh, share this and make a few uh, applications along the way here. And I'm not sure, depends on the time, how far I'll go. So here is, uh, this was in June of 2005, I preached a sermon on the mission of the church. And I know you've heard me say these things before, but I'm going to say them again. Uh, and I, here's what I said. It was, I said, uh, the mission of the church is found in Matthew 28, 18-20. According to Scripture, the mission of the church of Jesus Christ is to make disciples of all nations, disciples who are formed into the character of Christ. Another way to state the mission is to say, we are called to bring people into a yielded heart relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Or we are called to disciple and equip fellow believers to go into the world to build the kingdom of God. All of these definitions of the mission of the church of Jesus Christ can be summarized by Paul's words in Galatians 4.19, I labor that Christ may be formed in you. The mission of the church is spiritual formation or Christ forming, seeing Christ formed in each individual. So, I preached the same kind of sermon here. Uh, I think I did it at the chapel, but I'm not sure when. I actually I couldn't find one I did, but I think I did. And I preached it here in February of this year. And I, I just want to say a few things that I said there. Um, I said that in Matthew 28, uh, we find three missions, um, and they, they are go and teach, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and third one, teach them to observe all things I command you. And then prior to these three mission statements, uh, Jesus gives two reasons why we should obey these three missions. And they are that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And second, Jesus is with us until the end of the age. So he's present. He has all authority, and He is present. So, uh, that's, that's what my thoughts are about the mission of a church, and I will say more about that along the way here. So, the characteristics of a biblical community. Back then, uh, we really, I, I wouldn't say that we just, struggled with what that is, but we talked about it a lot, the characteristics of the biblical community. So here, here are some characteristics of a biblical community. They, the people have a common truth base, and that is the Scripture. They, they together gather around the Scripture. And second, they have a common understanding of who Jesus Christ is in relation to the church. 
and they they believe together in common that that Christ is the way, the truth, the life, the redeemer, the head. He's the person around which the people gather. All relationships, all decisions, all activities, and, and all purposes revolve around Jesus. Not, not something in our heads, but who Jesus is as understood in the Scripture. Another biblical characteristic of the biblical church is a common understanding of the role of the church in God's work in the world. Now, this is taken from Ephesians. I don't have the verses we use for all of this. But Ephesians 1, the church of Jesus Christ is the place where the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is conforming all those who claim Jesus as Lord. He is conforming them into, the King James term is, into one new man. They are being formed into a new Person through uh, by by being oriented around Jesus properly, and as they are being formed and oriented around Jesus, they they are being strengthened in the inner man to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, width and length and depth and height. So what this means is that as believers are each individually conformed to the image of Christ and strengthened in their inner person, they are able to comprehend with other things the breadth and depth of God's purposes for them together, and they are able to accomplish God's purposes for them and through them in the world. Another characteristic of a biblical church is a common mission. And uh, I already talked about that. Uh, the people being conformed to the image of Christ, being changed, uh, mature, grow emotionally, spiritually, in behavior. Another characteristic, they have a common creed and standards. Um, they have a shared understanding of the beliefs and practices that guide the community. A biblical community requires shared content of beliefs and shared form by which the beliefs are expressed. Uh, this, this is the church's common creed. And I will say a little more about this as we go along. In addition to a common creed that states its beliefs, a biblical community has either a written or unwritten shared understanding of what is considered normal behavior, of who a disciple of Jesus Christ is, and what a disciple of Jesus Christ does if Jesus is Lord. This doesn't need to be a detailed code of conduct but it does need to be clear who a disciple of Jesus Christ is and how a disciple of Jesus follows Christ as Lord. 
another characteristic, common tradition. The biblical community uses tradition to perpetuate or transmit the purpose and common creed and pass these on to the people of the community, especially the next generation. This is true of every culture. This isn't about being Mennonite or conservative Mennonite or anything. This is a fact that this is what traditions do in every culture. Traditions include things like baby dedication, baptism, communion, public testimony, singing, marriage, anointing with oil, the veiling of women, the practice of simplicity and modesty, the practice of fellowship and expressions of love, the sharing of one's goods with those in need, etc., etc. These are all traditions that when a community embraces them together, it, it transmits the, the community's values and beliefs are transmitted through their tradition. Another one, a common understanding of the role of authority. Uh, every community, uh, someone is responsible to lead the community, uh, not as a dictator, but responsible to lead the community in such a way that it upholds and advances the common creed, the common belief, the standards, the traditions, the values, uh, the mission, the purposes, whatever the community has agreed on, this is who we are and this is what we believe. Uh, someone is, is responsible not to run around with a whip. I'm at living here. Uh, but to remind people and call people to what they have said they understand and believe and intend to be. Okay, now, <clears throat> sermons with miscellaneous instructions. Uh, I always enjoyed Melvin's sermons. I enjoyed Anthony's too. Uh, and Tim's, but Melvin was, he was really sometimes really insightful. I sat in many meetings with him, whether he was chairing the meeting or not, and his, the way he went about things was he'd listen to what everybody said, and then at some point he would lean forward in his chair and, and he would snap his fingers and he would say, I heard you men say three things. And then he would say what the three things were, and then he would say what he thought about them. And it, he wasn't being a dictator, but he was monitoring. <laughs> and he, he had a great gift in getting big ideas into three words. Okay? It was good. So here he talks about unity. What is unity? He had three words. It is not the absence of difference. Debate or diversity. Unity is not the absence of difference, debate, or diversity. It is rather the presence of a common vision and common passion 
resting on the foundation of common values, common goals, common traditions, and common beliefs. And these are all rooted in one great truth. Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth and all that is therein. And that is a quote. And, you know, when we people heard him say things like this, we kind of rose up inside. We did. We're like, he said something. He said something there. So here's another sermon. Wisdom is a moral quality, the result of intellectual knowledge moving to the heart. As the heart hears God speak, the source of wisdom is God. All of us are foolish about something, but wisdom comes when we learn to repent. God gives us wisdom as we hear Him speak in difficult situations. Um, I said this in 2004. The goal of the ministry is to lead the church in wise, purposeful change of standards and traditions without losing the principles and values upon which those standards and traditions are based. And I'll just say about that that, that we were a church composed of people from many places. And the church did not, it wasn't the same thing as what any of them had came from. And what, what this required was a whole lot of conversation and giving, uh, letting go of things that people thought they had to have. You can't make a church be everything that everybody wants. And so that, that was my... Uh, we have to be careful not to lose the values and principles that we care about. Uh, <clears throat> this was from Anthony. What is the role of the law in the life of the Christian? We should not need to check with the law of God before we make decisions because God writes His law in our minds and hearts. Those of us who react to the commands of God should deal with the way we despise past discipline. God is calling us to a belonging relationship with Jesus Christ. I smile a little because um, Anthony and, and uh, Melvin really were a lot alike in many ways. They were very, um, very insightful, decisive, and straightforward. And there are three statements. That's what it is. <clears throat> and that can be scary, but it was helpful. Uh, here's another sermon. Christ has not called us to bondage but to a love relationship that frees us to serve God and others freely from the heart. I'm not going to say these all preach these sermons, but some of them I will. Uh, here's one from Melvin. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
The reality of this statement is experienced in the local church. The fellowship cannot. I have no idea where the where, where he came up with some of his things. I do not know. Fellowship cannot be organized around practices. It must be organized around doctrine. The characteristics of those who turn to Christ are humility, perseverance, conviction that Christ can meet our needs, willingness to let Christ be Lord, and obedience that goes beyond the mental assent that something is true. Jesus calls us to look away from Satan and his temptation and look to Jesus. This is Melvin again. The dynamic energy of the Holy Spirit is not opposed to organization and structure in the church. Both are essential. The dynamic energy is best expressed within a structure. Jesus is Lord, but this proclamation must be worked out in the life of the church. The critical questions in the life of the church become who is the authority of the church and what are the values they embrace. Here's another one from Melvin. Uh, this, this was part of the sermon following the previous one. Honesty is not the ability to accurately describe how one feels. Honesty is the freedom to exercise integrity in exploring the real reason why I feel the way I do and act the way I do. There are three levels of dishonesty. I'm sorry, three levels of honesty. There's surface honesty, moral honesty, that is to tell, always tell the truth and describe the situation accurately. And third, there's honesty with integrity, to move to repentance. Uh, here's a sermon by Anthony that was preached, I think, exactly one month before his mother died. And I know this was really on his mind. The gospel does not offer us deliverance from death, fulfillment of all our dreams, escape from suffering, or immediate escape from ignorance. In the midst of suffering, God offers us Himself, kingdom life, light, fruitfulness, life through Jesus' death, and our death. The path to life is death, and God is calling us to surrender rather than preserve our life. Another one. Four principles concerning change. This, this is Melvin. No significant change is painless. 
Confusion is an understood companion of change. One cannot wait to make decisions until all the confusion is gone. Dynamic change will always result in the death of something. Now, I remember him saying this, and I thought to myself, this is a profound statement. Dynamic change will always result in the death of something. When we choose one course of action, we have to let another one go. We have to put to death another course of action. Change that is good preserves the essence of eternal truth. Good change preserves the eternal values of the past. Uh, this next one uh, was Anthony, and it was um, three weeks after his mother died. How do we live well in the present in light of eternity? Uh, again, I, re- I remember this term. The hard circumstances of life are not the cross. That is not the cross. The hard circumstances are not the cross. The surrender to Christ in the hard circumstances is the cross. This is how you enter eternal life. Through the cross. Another point. Death only has power over what you hold on to. Whatever we yield to Christ, the devil has no power to destroy. The strength that we admire in people is found in daily dying. Now here's one that no leader likes to hear. The greatest moments in leadership always follow moments of great struggle or disaster. I want to say to dear Anthony, dear Anthony, what in the world? Please, give us, ease up, ease up. Now, here's another one. The greatest challenge of leadership is to offer something life-giving without destroying what people have that is good. This requires finding a balance between two extremes, relationships and love on the one hand, and discipline and obedience on the other. Now, Melvin uh, preached the summer from Acts 15. Some of us know what's in that chapter. 
So, uh, the Jerusalem conference about um, do the Gentiles have to be circumcised and keep uh, the Old Testament laws. He said, Acts 15 affirms the integrity and authority of the church and its leaders. Leaders are not tyrants, but they do have authority. Acts 15 affirms the authority of Scripture. Acts 15 affirms the biblical pattern that the church is called to preserve the eternal values of the past in the midst of change. In Acts 15, we have the example of the church clarifying scriptural principles that are then applied in local church settings. This is a sermon I preached in 2005. The challenges we face in embracing a common truth base, a common understanding of Christ, not common creed, practicing common standards of behavior, embracing and practicing common traditions, and embracing a common mission. So challenge one, we face the challenge of helping each person experience spiritual growth and change, helping them learn to follow Christ before Christ has answered all our questions or taken away all our fears. Believers need help to move toward willing the one thing that they know Christ wants right now in this moment. We have to move away from the demand that Jesus and others save us without our heart, mind, and will participating. And we have to move away from the demand that Jesus Christ show us the future, show us the end from the beginning, and prove to us that we will never be disappointed before we are willing to start. The process toward willing one thing involves surrender, even partial surrender, such as giving God permission to work in the heart to make us willing to be made willing, which allows the Holy Spirit to work in us where we can't work. We face the challenge of maintaining healthy relationships while we talk to each other. We face the challenge of developing a framework uh, for people growing that is faithful to Scripture. So here are some things that I said about that. It is wrong to compromise the commands and principles of Scripture in order to accommodate the philosophies of men. No, no philosophy of men can replace the person and work of Jesus Christ, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, or the written Word of God. Everything must be measured by and compared with the Scripture. It is wrong to compromise the commands and principles of Scripture in order to accommodate the non-Christian or non-biblical culture 
or lifestyle of people we are trying to incorporate into the body of Christ. It is wrong to put the commands and principles of Scripture in the same category as the law that Jesus nailed to the cross and took out of the way. Uh, That's Colossians 2. The temptation is to put obedience of faith in the same category as the Old Testament law and to say that requiring obedience to the Scripture or obedience of faith is legalism. And that's wrong. It is wrong to overemphasize one aspect of truth at the expense of another. Another way to say this is that proper interpretation of Scripture requires that you keep the two opposing sides of a truth intent. And an example. God pursues and saves versus man responds, chooses, confesses, and repents. A lot of times, these kinds of issues are put in tension and the one is right and the other is wrong. Well, maybe both are right. Uh, okay, some summaries. That's, that's all of that. Some summary thoughts about uh, where we are today, and these are not, these are not, not, not decisions. These are my thoughts. Um, I want to make I want to make some comments about um, about our to add to the discussion we had about different forms worship service. I want to uh, expand on my thoughts. So I'm, I'm using Matthew 28 here. So the mission of the Church of Jesus Christ is to make disciples of all nations. And immediately following that statement is the statement baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And I will confess that most of my life, I have viewed baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit as a formula to use when you water baptize somebody. I'm not even sure it's talking about water baptism. These statements present the mission of the church as making disciples who are, who are changed into able to obey Christ, follow Christ. And I believe that to baptize people, I've said all this before here, to baptize people into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I believe, means to immerse people in the presence of God. And I'm convinced that this is talking about helping people worship God and respond to God's instructions and work in their hearts. Now, people cannot grow into the character of Christ, cannot grow as a disciple, cannot learn to do what Christ wants unless they worship God, truly worship God. And it is a, 
I believe a major task of the church to immerse people in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that is what worship is. And uh, is it in Second Corinthians three where it talks about beholding the face of God and being changed into His likeness, meaning the character of Christ? And that's a worship. That's what that's talking about. So to immerse ourselves as a congregation means. I believe that we congregate, this is related to system forms. It means we congregate to worship God, to listen to God's Word, to fellowship in the Spirit, to talk about our lives and how God is working and what He is doing, and to confess and repent together, to acknowledge areas of failure and areas of need and areas we need to grow in, Uh, it, it includes things like eating together, playing together, camping together, doing things together, being together. To immerse oneself in God as a congregation means that each one of us is immersed in and aware of Jesus in our personal lives and in our corporate lives. <clears throat> now I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit. To immerse oneself in God is to come to God's presence and each other's presence without pretending, without performance, in order to be approved. With whatever needs redemption to come, it come. This requires honesty, humility, and that everybody cares about everybody else. And not not demanding perfection, allowing and inviting people to be honest in their needs. That's what this takes. <clears throat> to immerse in God's presence includes cooperating with God, seeking to understand how God is working in presence in each person, seeking to understand how to cooperate with cooperate with God in what He is doing in my life and in the lives of others. And this requires giving up on thinking we have everything figured out, that we know the one right way that God works in every situation and the one right solution that will fix everyone's problems. The one level of holiness that everybody has to be in when they walk in the door. Uh, these, these ideas, I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I just know it's how we can be. Uh, these, these ideas and, and uh, the inability to, to be more receiving of people, um, it kills any freedom people might have to be present spiritually and emotionally in the public worship. It kills any freedom to hear God speak. It reduces the possibility that people will actually be able to repent. They'll be too embarrassed to reveal they need to repent. <clears throat> I want to tell you people a little story. This is two events. Um, this happened over there in that Bethel building. Uh, in the 70s. 
Parkville Singers was here on a Sunday afternoon. And, and I honestly, honestly, I do not know what my problem was. I do not know. But uh, they sing in a heavenly way, as some of you know. And they started singing, and I started crying. I could not stop. I wasn't sobbing, but tears were running down my face. I didn't know what in the world to do with myself. I don't know what, I don't know, it it touched me in a deep way. Maybe I was just so overtired, I I don't really know. But uh, I know one thing, and this was nobody else's fault, this is me, but I just had a really hard time with myself being okay with sitting there crying like that when there's no reason to cry. Well, now at this age, I know good and well there's a reason I was crying, even if I didn't know what it was. But I'm not saying that no one else was okay with me crying. I'm saying I wasn't okay with me crying. Okay, that 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 really hindered. I think it hindered my ability to engage in whatever was happening because I was so hung up on I'm crying. It's just an example. Anything, anything we can do as a congregation to immerse ourselves in God and one another's presence will increase the possibility that we will become a better disciple. Uh, and there are, there are attitudes and forms of worship that facilitate or promote a meaningful worship service, and there are some that hinder it. And I'm not making grand statements, I'm just saying this is the truth. So, uh, I think this is what this is what I want, and I think most people here, they, they want what you would call a meaningful worship service. And I'm not trying to beat anyone up, I'm trying to explain. Okay, <clears throat> I hear the baby. In order not to capsize, and I'm trying to get to the end, in order not to capsize, the babies are fine. In order not to capsize in the rapids we are in, we need to be committed to each other. Committed to being together in times of uncertainty. I I recommend, I recommend that everybody here read read the book of Acts. Read the first ten chapters of that. The first five chapters of that is impressive. Uh, people together praying, supporting, uh, consoling one another. Uh, in Acts 12, uh, Peter was delivered from prison by the angel of the Lord. And and I'm not sure that he even knew what happened. I don't think he did. I, because it says uh, that he found himself outside the prison and came to himself, said the King James. So he, he, he realized, oh, I'm out here. And then he thought, what am I going to do? What should I do? He considered, it says, and considered the matter. And he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, 
for many will gather together praying. Okay, so what that says is he was dazed, maybe confused, never had this kind of experience before. And he thought to himself, what should I do? And then apparently he thought, well, maybe the people of God are over here at this place. So he went to this house and there they were. In that's Acts 12. In Acts 2, it says the believers devoted themselves, and here's what they devoted themselves to. To the apostles' teaching. The idea there to the scripture and the teaching of the scripture. Devoted themselves to fellowship. They spent time together, a lot of time together. I have no idea how they did that. It sounds like every day. Every day. They devoted themselves to sharing meals together. Uh, and this is talking about public meals, meals in homes, and the Lord's Supper. I think all of it. They devoted themselves to prayer. They had devoted themselves to sharing the property and possessions and money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals, shared their meals with great joy and generosity. I remember, I remember living here in 1950, 65, 60, and so on. And our lives in those days were different than today. They worked. They just worked. We worked together, to farming together, to a silo together, to a small. And people got enough to each other's homes, talked after church, and Yes, there, there was more. There was more interaction. Uh, Acts four. Um, I'm not going to read it. Uh, here are my comments about it. Um, the early church had no grand plan, no method. They didn't have any scientific procedure. But they had their experience with Jesus, and they prayed. That's what you read. They, I don't think they did very much strategic planning. They, they didn't. They didn't try to figure out how to make this thing work the way we do with businesses. You know, try to get a strategic plan together. There's no evidence of that. The early church spent a lot of time together in assembly, in fellowship, public worship, informal relating, eating together. The early church shared in victories and losses. The early church struggled with relational and discipling issues. Ananias and Sapphira, Simon the Sorcerer, Struggles in the life of the church are not uncommon. 
I had no idea how long this would take, and I'm surprised that I'm seeing I did not prepare a grand conclusion. The only thing I wrote down for a conclusion was, I believe we can get through our rapids without capsizing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are still alive and you are still present with your people and you have been throughout history. And you understand us here. And I pray that you would give each of us wisdom and humility, the ability to listen to you, listen to your word, listen to each other. And I pray that you would work to accomplish your good goals, your good purposes, the good end that you have in mind for each of us personally and for us together. And thank you. Amen.